Hi, everybody. Welcome to the fourth episode of the Prog Report Profiles on the Neil Morris Band. With me, of course, is Jeff Bailey. Hi, everyone. So this is the fourth and final episode. Of course, uh, the other three episodes are available on the website and all our podcast outlets. If you've been listening along with uh, the rest of the story, the last episode ended with the band recording The Grand Experiment, first first time as the Neil Morse Band, and then doing Morse Fest 2015. And then Eric went off and made his solo album, The Great Unknown. And uh, now we're heading into 2016, which really becomes one of the most significant periods for the Neil Morse Band and really sets the entire band off on a pretty amazing journey. So yes, the the album that I think most people recognize really consolidated the Neil Morse Band was the album The Similitude of a Dream, a double concept album based on one of the best-selling books ever, Pilgrim's Progress. Um, and, you know, the full prog treatment, um, gatefold sleeve, recurring themes, and really an album that, that once again consolidated the, the band aspect of this. So w- with a lot of um, vocals by Bill and by Eric and really them coming um, very much to the fore in terms of performance. The album was originally supposed to be one disc They weren't sure that it was going to be a concept album. There were no plans for a concept album. But of course, as always happens with Neil, he gets an idea from somebody and it sets him off on this path, which uh, we're going to listen to Neil talk about how he got the original idea for the Similitude album. Yeah, um, last December I was uh, sitting around the studio, you know, playing and and writing and I felt like I had some good ideas, but I needed some direction. And sometimes having a story or some kind of lyrical idea will bring forth the music also, not just the lyrics. I remember somewhere back in my mind, I don't even know how long ago it was, but somebody had suggested to me on the internet that I do a concept album based on Pilgrim's Progress. And it's funny, a lot of people throw these things at me and they just go back in some kind of filing cabinet in my mind. But it came to my mind that day, I thought, oh, remember that thing? I don't know. I've never read the book. I don't own the book. Huh. I guess I'll I'll Google it. So I... You know, I googled the, googled the Spark Notes and just kind of read the synopsis of the story and got some inspiration and you know wrote like little sketches, just very little bits of like maybe the chorus of City of Destruction and there was a little bit of that We Have Got to Go thing and I think a little bit of the verse to Back to the City, a little bit of Makes No Sense, you know, just little pieces, a little bit of Broken Sky. Uh, but you know a lot was missing <laughs> like a lot uh, and so it's kind of like I came in with a paintbrush and started painting with this idea not knowing if the other guys was, were going to want to join me and then they came in and started painting and ultimately you know we have all the colors of the rainbow and the album's done and it's amazing as with all the albums or most of the albums that Neil has released either as a solo or with the band or Transatlantic and, and so on, there's usually a making of DVD or something that comes out at, at some point. And what was interesting about this one was it really let you into some tension that was building within the band on whether or not to make it a double album or a single. And when you watch the DVD, you see that started to become apparent that Neil wanted it to be a double album. Mike was really pushing against that. Yeah, and that's something that, that really comes across. And I think, you know, Mike and Neil are very honest in the video about this was one of the biggest clashes that they had. And I suppose when you have a band with so many writers and so many creative people, part of the natural process is choosing what direction things are going in. And I think Mike mentions in the video that he was aware that um, Dream Theater were producing or about to produce a double concept album and that he was concerned that, you know, this would... Uh, this album by Neil Morseband would be seen as kind of in competition with that, and um, the album that um, we, we all know became the Astonishing, and um, so he was reluctant from that point of view. But to be fair to Mike, um, he after the event is very contrite, and he he decided to go with the flow and maybe put aside his preferences. So that was something that um, I suppose you have to do as well in a band context, and he said himself. Um, it was the right decision in the end to produce something of this scale. 
And I remember they uh, started to leak just the hashtag, uh, hashtag T-S-O-A-D for a few few weeks before the release of the album. Nobody really knew what it was. And then Mike posted this tweet or, or a post on Facebook that was one of the most glowing, raving yeah. you know, posts that I think he's ever done and hasn't ever repeated about how this was the greatest album he's ever made with any band. And it was going to be the wall and Tommy and, and so on. And really the expectations for this thing were through the roof. Um, I think they built the anticipation for it really well. And, uh, and certainly the results seem to prove the, him correctly. Yeah, absolutely. And of course the, the inside features the, the Paul Whitehead, uh, uh, sleeve, um, the artist who painted uh, albums like Nursery Crime and Foxtrot for Genesis. So, um, hi, hi, probably next to Roger Dean, probably the most the most synonymous prog uh, album cover person um, got to work on it. So that was that was quite a quite a buzz. I know for a lot of people who were familiar with those albums. There were a lot of significant moments in the album. Um, each of the members contributed way more than they had on. The Grand Experiment. I think one of the highlights is the Ways of the Fool, a track that Bill Hubauer brought as a demo uh, that has sort of become one of the favorites. And of course, Eric Gillette's vocal parts on a few songs, um, you know, the closing track and uh, and on So Far Gone, which uh, I think So Far Gone seems to be maybe the the most high profile hit single, if, if you'll have it from the record. Uh, that that I think is it really gives you a good taste of what that album is about. So we're going to go ahead and play the live version of So Far Gone from the Live in Tilburg release with uh, Eric Gillette on lead vocals. Feels so wrong 
so one of the things that the band did, uh, which was significant with this album as well, was toured playing the entire album uh, from beginning to end at every show. And they started first in Nashville, where Neil is from, and that was the first show. Um, and then I believe they did a few more shows and then came to Cruise to the Edge and uh, played the entire thing there. That's where I saw it for the first time in its entirety. And I remember just being blown away by the power of that album live. I remember particularly the uh, the ending, Broken Sky, was just just an unbelievable thing to, to watch on by, by the pool deck with the sun setting. And it just, it gets you so emotional. It's an amazing ability Neil and the band have to to produce that. And of course, Eric singing on that, uh, you know, closing that song out is just awesome. Yeah. Um, and of course, uh, of course they toured the world on this. I think it was the biggest tour Neil had ever done outside of Spock's Beard Easy and, yeah. uh, and concluded uh, by playing again, the album uh, in full for the final time in Nashville at uh, Morse Fest uh, 17, along with, um, playing testimony two in its entirety yeah i saw the i saw the tour um in europe and so i actually ended up seeing the last four performances of similitude because um it it just worked out with a combination of cheap flights that i was able to see the show in <laughs> glasgow and then in manchester and then in london on three consecutive nights and that was great because that is um, very cool not a lot of people can say that yeah and sort of the the first the first night I stood at the back, um, the second night I stood right at the front, and then the third night in London we were up in the balcony. So I've kind of seen seen the show from from every angle, and it was brilliant. And of course, the other thing that was different about this tour um, was that they also introduced those elements of kind of the costumes. So the band were all kind of wearing not regular kind of jeans and t-shirts. They kind of had themed costumes you had various masks for the sloth song and for the mask song and you had neil carrying the kind of the torch and the the lamp and so on and that that drama plus plus then the the brilliant backdrop videos which christian rios had had produced for for different albums for morse fest but now this was something that accompanied similitude the whole time on the screen behind the band and so it was a full kind of multimedia a uh, bit of drama, a bit of costume, the the full production, and then of course you had Morse Fest, the final one, where there was all of that plus the choir, plus the strings, plus the horns, plus the percussion guys, cast of thousands on stage, and um, you know, a, a, you know, a really full production, and it was just, it was a, an amazing finale to that. It's it's hard to think how that could be beaten in terms of a performance of that. Um, um, of, of, of that work and of course captured um, on the testimony of a dream um, CDs and DVD and Blu-ray and all that stuff yeah and uh, you know there were a lot of great performances that whole weekend outside of the Smiltude album and the, the first night they played uh, the entire testimony 2 album um, with lost epics like seeds of gold and yep. um, so many roads and a few other songs and you know they did a great acoustic version of uh, from, of a song from Testimony Two from the second the Supernatural. So we're going to play that for you here from that live set uh, from the Testimony of a Dream uh, live set. This is Supernatural. Sunshine. 
Should we go on? So that was Supernatural with a little bit of, yes, as I've seen all good people thrown in there, which hopefully you caught. And uh, so now we're going to go into what the band did after uh, the Similitude uh, album cycle and tour. Uh, They all went off on their own and did various solo things. You know, Mike Portnoy went and formed Sons of Apollo with Derek Sherinian and uh, they recorded an album and went on tour. Uh, Eric Gillette also went on tour with Mike Portnoy during a different part uh, where Mike was doing his uh, Shattered Fortress, which was revisiting some of his music with Dream Theater. And so it was Eric Gillette playing with members of Haken and Mike, and they went on tour for that. And Bill Hubauer released the second album with his band, We Came From Space, which we will get to. Uh, Randy is working on new music with his wife, Pamela. And then, of course, Neil uh, released the album Life and Times, which was uh, a collection of acoustic and more stripped down songs uh, that he had written while on tour with the band. Yeah, and the Life and Times album was a, a real change, I suppose, uh, from um, Similitude, but it was tapping into something that um, was very close to Neil's heart in terms of singer-songwriter stuff. It was much simpler songs, um, and it was sort of, I, I think he describes it as slice of life, and you know he was writing those songs while on the Similitude tour, and I can remember when I got talking to him on that tour, him talking about songs like He Died at Home, you know, the songs like uh, Selfie in the Square was again directly from that tour. And then some of the other songs on it, um, like Old Alabama or songs that he had had for a long period of time that had never really found a home anywhere. And it's a, it's a very different, but it's a, it's a, it's a very, very um, strong album. And uh, I remember Neil also describing it as kind of the album that your wife might like. And, um, it's, so it's good in that kind of Graham Nash singer songwritery style, and I had a, a little bit of involvement in, on that album. Um, having I mentioned earlier on that I'd been at the Similitude show in Manchester, and um, that was one of the days that inspired one of the songs there. So there's a bit of a story to that, and I'm gonna let Neil tell it. And this is a live version of that song um, from the Life and Times tour in Europe, and this is the Manchester song. Um, on one of the days on the Similitude tour, I woke up in Manchester, England. Mm-hmm. And it was a lovely day. And I started, again, writing songs about what I was, I mean, writing words about what I was seeing and feeling and experiencing. And it was a very pretty day. And it seemed like everybody was happy to me, you know. Uh, I wrote a thousand verses and I had to cut almost all of them. I was just like, oh, yeah, uh, the theater's playing Stand By Me. Everyone's drinking coffee and tea. It's just on and on and on. And uh, it was too much, so I, I pared it down. But uh, You guys have a part on this song. Um, but before I tell you what that is, I do need to tell you the kind of funny story, which was I, uh, I woke up the next day. I, I like this little happy Manchester song, but I realized... There was a faithful flaw. There was this terrible problem, which was 
the line that I used in the chorus was Manchester by the sea. Yeah, <laughs> wrong Manchester. The ocean's what, two hours away, something like that? No bay anywhere around. So, and I tried to think of all these other things I could say, but nothing worked. And so I, I sent it to my friend in the UK thinking, well, he lives there. Maybe he'll know how to fix this lyric, <laughs> which makes absolutely no sense. But uh, lo and behold, about 10 minutes later, he sent me all these words to the end of the song that really kind of saved the day. Anyway, your part in this song goes. Want to try it? Okay, that's good, because otherwise I'd have to cut the song. <laughs> Are you feeling like the underdog? Like every day stuck on repeat? Come and sing a different song on the sunny side of Oxford Street in Manchester by the sea. How long will you wait for me? Let's ride the magic bus again. Or maybe take the Midland train to Manchester by the sea. A revolution's happening to me right here in Manchester by the sea. Go! Girlfriends hug at the coffee shop. More coffee references. <laughs> I don't drink as much coffee as it sounds like in these songs. <laughs> coffee, coffee, coffee. Okay. Girlfriends hug at the coffee shop. Does every type of person walking by? It's a perfect day, full stop. There's even a smile on the traffic cop in Manchester by the sea. How long will you wait for me? Let's ride the magic bus again. Or maybe take the Midland train to Manchester by the sea. A revolution's happening to me right here in Manchester by the sea. Go! Do -do 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 -do. Yeah. I'm giving all my love away. I'm filling up. You guys got to get the record, man. You'll like it a lot better once you get the record. I'm giving all my love away. Yeah, I'm filling up. I'm filling up. I'm giving all my love away. Come on and fill it up. I'm filling up. I'm giving all my love away. Come on, let's fill it up now. Right here in Manchester by the bay. But there was no bay. But it's okay. All right, here's my friend's verses at the end. You ready? Gotta wait for the music to come around again. Of course, I might talk through and have to wait again. Oh, wait, I missed it. I'm walking round the town Singing this new song I found My friend comes and breaks my flow Says, hey man, now don't you know That Manchester's got no sea That's just some bad geography This Manchester's got no bay That's the one in the USA No man Manchester's got no sea, but somehow it feels good to me. Let's ride the magic bus again, or maybe take the Midland train to Manchester proud and free. That was mine. A revolution's happening to me 
right here in Manchester, not by the sea. Another one of the great albums that came out in 2018 was the second album from the band We Came From Space, titled While You Were Away. Uh, of course, that's the Bill Hubauer band with a few friends, a musician friends of his that he had had. And uh, we're going to let Bill talk about uh, that band and that album in this clip. About 10 years ago, I moved back close to where I grew up and was able to reconnect with some some high school friends. And one of my best friends from high school, Dave Bizard, and I uh, got together for lunch one day and we uh, we talked about, you know, maybe uh, doing some music together and and we agreed that if, if we did that, it would have to be something that sounded like things that we would have listened to together back in high school. You know, we'd get together with, with our, I'd grab some records and go over to his place and or he'd grab some records and, and we would listen to stuff together. And, and uh, so we wanted it to be like that, kind of that late 70s, early 80s album rock vibe. And uh, so we put together a band with uh, a couple other guys, um, Mike Kurtz and Brett Talbert on bass and drums, and, and we wrote and recorded an album over a couple years, just sort of uh, as we had time to work on it. And uh, put that out and had a limited number of CDs, and we really didn't do much with it at the time. We played a couple of, couple of shows, and, and uh, uh, then we started working on some new material, and we thought, okay, we're going to do this one really fast if the first one took too long so uh and but it ended up taking even longer like four years <laughs> to do the second album but during that time uh the bass and drummer both moved away and so we uh connected with uh, another um high school friend dave hawk on bass and we found a new drummer tim malone through a mutual friend to finish out uh that that lineup and so that's how we completed the uh the uh, second album um, the uh, I, we get asked about the name a lot. We came from space, and actually, it comes from another another uh, friend from back uh, when we were young. Who, when they were kids, they had a band uh, called uh, I think it was just called Space, uh, just like uh, you know high school kids, and they had a song. Uh, we came from space. It was sort of you know their silly autobiographical uh, song, but I always thought that was a funny name. We came from space, uh, uh, we decided to use that just as, as just something fun and different.
today. That was the track We Came From Space from the band We Came From Space featuring uh, Bill Hubauer and from the album While You Were Away. And that's a really, really strong album in the kind of par pop, slightly proggy, slightly sticksy vein. If you haven't heard it, it's it's a really, really good album, really worth checking out. Yeah, very diverse, lots of different styles. Yeah, absolutely. And um, we mentioned earlier on Randy as well. Over the, this period of time, um, Randy has been working along with his wife, Pamela. And if you don't know, Randy's wife, Pamela, is also a very accomplished musician, singer, keyboard player, guitar player. She plays in some of the tribute bands that that Randy's involved in as well, the Steve Hackett band. Um, she plays some great guitar in that. And they've been working away over the last number of years at some solo material, soon hopefully to find its way to our ears. And um, let's hear a little bit about that from Randy. Well, at the moment, I'm currently working on a project with my wife. It's an album of songs, and it'll come out under a band name with her singing. And so, yeah, we're in the throes of writing that, and it's coming together very nicely. We've got some good songs, and I'm really excited about it. I'm also going to be putting together material for a solo album as well. I've decided this time on my solo album I want to have some actual songs, so I'll I'll be working with some different singers to achieve that as well. So the next project, uh, while Neil Morrison, the band, were working on the follow-up to Similitude of a Dream, was a prog rock opera uh, that Neil had been working on for close to 10 years. Um, yep. Now that he was, and he was finally now getting to uh, complete it. Uh, and it was going to be premiered at that year's Morse Fest at Morse Fest 2018. And it was titled Jesus Christ, the Exorcist. Yeah. So that's an album that um, if you've been a long-term follower of Neil's, you will have heard of. He released some of the demos uh, as part of an inner circle release, probably, um, 10 years ago, as Roy said, round about the time shortly after it was written. And it was something that um, Neil had written. Um, I suppose his part of his inspiration for that was most people know um, the musical Jesus Christ Superstar, which was very, very successful in the 1970s and still runs. And Neil kind of wanted to write his version of that. Um, and but it was something that when it was written, it kind of didn't really go anywhere. And Neil had a friend who sort of looked after that and, um, you know, tried to find, I suppose, a home for it. And, you know, nothing much happened for probably 10 years. But then Neil um, came up to the Morse Fest or planning for Morse Fest that was going to happen in 2018. And because of his involvement in Sons of Apollo and some of his other projects, it was clear that Mike was not going to be involved and that kind of ruled out some of the possible options that might happen at Morse Fest. It would, you know, rule out Neil Morse Band, would rule out Flying Colors, would rule out Transatlantic. And Neil began to think about, well, is this musical something that that we could do? And to cut a long story short, he, he did it. The band for that was... Bill Hubar, Randy George, and Eric Gillette on drums. And I think it was Neil's wife, Sherry, who suggested that Eric could drum on that. And then Paul Bielatovich, who'd been part of Neil's European band um, way back in sort of Sola Scriptura days. He took on the lead guitar role, plus then they were supplemented with the usual Morse Fest cast of thousands. And Neil went back to those demos and um, he changed quite a bit of it. Um, some parts were the same, some parts were new things that were written, and he reshaped it into a completed work. And round about the same time, he also then began to get interest in this from a record company called Frontiers, who, again, to cut a long story short, decided that they wanted to get this album properly recorded and released. And so the kind of shaping of, of Jesus Christ the Exorcist um, resulted in um the Morse Fest performance, which had a again a, not only a large cast of musicians, but Neil actually sings very, very little of 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 the album itself, and so his role was more of a conductor and um, musician. And there were people like um, Ted Leonard played the role of Jesus, and Nick DiVirgilio played the role of Judas, Matt Smith played John the Baptist, um, Rick Florian, um, John Sch Schlitt. Um, Mark Pogue and Talon David played the the Mary role, so a, you know a huge cast, something very very different at Morse Fest. 
So as well as featuring a large cast of musicians, it also featured a large cast of singers because Neil didn't actually uh, sing an awful lot of the album. His role was more of a conductor. So you had Ted Leonard in the Jesus role, Nick DiVirgilio as Judas, Matt Smith as John the Baptist, um, Rick Florian, John Schlitt, two people from the kind of Christian rock world, um, who people who know that world would know, um, played roles, and Jake Livgren, um, as well, uh, a nephew of Kerry Livgren from Kansas, and Talon David uh, played the female role of Mary, and Mark Pogue, who was actually one of the, the main singers in the original demos, he also was part of that. So a big, big cast of vocalists taking part. So now the album version of Jesus Christ the Exorcist is coming out on June 14th on Frontiers, and there's been a couple of singles released uh, from that. Uh, the most recent one was There's a Highway, and the first single was Get Behind Me Satan, which is a great uh, sort of hard rock, deep purple influence track with Ted Leonard singing. So we're going to play that for you here from the studio version. This is Get Behind Me Satan. Around 2017, after Similitude and when everybody went on their separate projects, the band were still starting to write and demo uh, for what would be the next album. They didn't want to do a, a sequel to Similitude at the time. Um, and of course, uh, fate would intervene. And eventually what was released in 2019 was the sequel to Similitude of a Dream, which was The Great Adventure, 
another massive epic double disc release from the Neil Morse band and uh, something that really continued to establish them as one of the premier bands in progressive rock. Yeah, and it's, again, looking at the making of DVDs and the, some of the interviews that the band have done, it's 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 quite funny because I suppose they ended up making the album that they didn't intend and, in fact, in some cases didn't actually want to make. Um, the, the album took various shapes and, in fact, they, they talk on the in some of the interviews about the one-disc version. So I think in 2018 they had sessions. They pretty much had decided we have a finished album. It was too two longer epics and two shorter songs and they went away thinking the job was pretty much done bar recording this thing and finessing it and over the course then of the of the next period of time it changed a lot and um the themes uh, some of the themes from similitude then were, were coming and eventually it looked like it was going to be something to do with similitude stroke pilgrim's progress and neil talks about how he hit on the idea of this being the story from the perspective of the the son of the character in similitude that was when things really started to take shape i had a chance to speak with neil and eric together on how this album came to be so let's hear a bit from them on the great adventure when we got together in january to actually make the album the consensus was let's make a single disc non-concept album. And so we, we made a version of this album that's a single disc non-concept album uh, that has a lot of the same elements. That's a done album that exists somewhere in your, in your you know, computer? Well, it's a done sketch. It right. didn't have lyrics and, or vocals. <laughs> the scratch vocals are hilariously bad. <laughs> um, but... We, I came away from that. It was really unusual. It was just a really unusual way this album happened. I, I've never uh, come away from one of these sessions in all my, all the albums I've made with uh, Mike Portnoy. I've never come away from it with him, A, not completing his drums, and B, me not feeling like it was really all there and right. So I, I kind of sat with that and sat, I just let it, I got away from it for a little while and I thought, oh, if I listen to it again, maybe I'll, maybe I'll feel better about it. But I, I didn't, I mean, I, I like all the elements because it's the same elements of the album that we have actually, um, for the most part. Right. Um, but I just felt like it wasn't what it was, all that it was supposed to be. And I can't really explain why I just, it was just sort of gnawing at me. Uh, and so I had to kind of, uh, we had a conference call with the band and I had to kind of say that I think in February. And, uh, so then it was kind of, but the challenge for me was I didn't know really where it was supposed to go or how it was going to play out. So it it was kind of like, guys, we've got a problem. I don't think it's all there, but I have no solution. (laughs) So that was kind of weird. And, and so I just said, well, let's just sit with it and maybe I'll on my breaks from life and times I'll try and do some rewriting and and you guys throw out you know what let me know what you think if you have any ideas and so then I did a rewrite in March or April or March and April and uh, I wound up pursuing this um, follow-up to a similitude of a dream concept and I put Vanity Fair back in which had been cut and uh, I put talking back in which got cut <laughs> and so uh i wound up doing a version of the record that would be was like two and a half hours long and still wasn't there you know what i mean by there is like still wasn't like yes this is it uh, but i felt like it was on the right track and and so i presented that and the guys seemed to think that thank god everybody, everybody did like it and wanted to pursue it because i i i was I was I was doubtful if, if we could, you know, what you're trying to do is get the team on the same page somehow. Right. And uh, it's hard when you're not, you know, and so they wanted to do it. And Mike was on board. And um, and then then the challenge was, well, when can we get together to finish it? And so we got back together at the beginning of August and, and finished it up. And then Mike tracked his drums and hallelujah. So I remember getting the 
album uh, in advance to to listen to it. And I tried to do the same thing that I did with Similitude at the time, which was uh, listen to it at one sitting from beginning to end, which I was able to do. And man, I just remember being blown away again. I have two thoughts. Uh, One is how awesome this is just musically and impressive. And it, you know, and that's always a great feeling when you just listen to anything by any band that really just blows you away. But then the other thought is it's been over 20 years and, you know, any project that Neil's involved with and, and not to give Neil all the credit for this album, but this stuff is is just really next level. It's always amazing, yeah. you know. And and whatever form it's in, whether it was whether it's been with Spock's Beard or Transatlantic or or now with uh, you know guys like Eric Gillette and Bill and Randy and Mike, um, these these projects are are just really well done, well produced, well written. Um, you just have to you know really uh, consider yourself uh, lucky to be able to listen to music like this in 2018 when progressive rock is, is, you know, really underground and not in the mainstream. And many people may not even know about this, but it's, it's a quite an achievement, I think. And any fan that, that is a, anybody that is a fan of this and gets a chance to listen to it really has always comes away really impressed. Yeah. And I think the thing about this album that I know a lot of people who I know have been fans have enjoyed is given that this is from the perspective of the angry young son you know it it there is a darker side of it there's a more of an anger that it's a it's a much heavier album than um similitude was you know it's so it's not just a complete rehash of you know the same thing it's quite a different sounding album and you know there's a lot probably a lot of the moments that i think stand out um to people in this album are actually the you know the the heavier moments as well and then another you know, tremendous finale, you know, question, how do you top, um, you know, that it's been a long day closing section from Similitude? Well, you know, they did it with this incredible um, Love That Never Dies track and theme. Yeah. Again, sung by Eric, but I mean, I, I know I have this in vinyl and, um, you know, that last, I think it's section five, is it? It's called the very, the last four or five songs, that run of music, you know, I've, I think I've got pretty much everything that Neil certainly has produced from Spock's days onwards. I think it's really, really hard to top that last half hour, Um, you know, in terms of the Neil Morse band uh, doing everything that they're great at, um, all of the vocals, um, all you know the softer material the heavier material you know that that kind of half hour is if you know if, if you to keep one thing to me that would be the bit that i would keep and of course the band then went on tour um pretty much following a similar pattern to similitude with the cruise near the start and ending up with a run of shows in europe the longest tour that they have ever done and in fact um doing five and six shows in a row which i know uh, is challenging for anybody never mind shows that are nearly three hours long and of course we're looking forward to hearing the morse fest full bells whistles orchestra version of the great adventure at morse fest later this summer so there you have it the prog report profiles of the new morse band episode number four coming to an end we hope you guys have enjoyed this uh jeff and i really had a lot of fun putting this together yeah and uh, revisiting some really cool stuff and unreleased tracks and demos and whatever else we were able to play. And, uh, you know, keep up with the Prog Report for future uh, podcasts and top fives and interviews. And I think we're planning another Prog Report profiles of uh, another band to be released uh, soon. Yeah, send us your suggestions of what other bands you would like to hear covered in these profiles in this kind of format. Hope you've enjoyed it. Um, As Roy said, we've really enjoyed it. It's been good to delve into the material and talk about it. And thank you for all the people who have sent us positive feedback along the way. And we're going to end with um, Freedom Calling from The Great Adventure, one of the songs from that great section that I enjoy um, towards the end of the album. Thank you, and um, we'll see you soon. See you at Morse Fest. Goodbye. Yeah.